Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. That's, it's so critical, um, not only of who you know, but how you spend your time. And it's becoming increasingly difficult these days. You know, why, why do you think it's so hard for people to stay focused on the tasks that are at hand today more than ever? Yeah. So I think you're referring to my book called Single Tasking. And the subtitle is Get More Done One Thing at a Time. And um, I, I think that it's because there's more interference. And I, I, in single tasking, I talk about inner like focus and outer focus. And uh, in terms of the outer world, there's all these ways to be distracted, like pop-ups and, and chimes. And so really, instead of wanting ourselves to have superhuman strength and to ignore these things when they occur, uh, what I recommend is to what it's, I call it building fences, to build a fence around it before it occurs. So to prevent it from happening, so to mitigate the need to avoid responding to something that's attracting your attention is to turn them off when you're on a, in a meeting or a phone call or um, when you're out with people to focus on the person who's is in front of you uh, as opposed yeah. to letting your phone or your take over your life. Like people blame their phones. Uh, I, t- I have a section in that book called if your phone's so smart, can you teach it to heal and comparing smartphones to puppies that, <laughs> that you need to just like, you need to train a, a dog or a puppy to be, be well-behaved. Same thing with your phone, like take control of the situation. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's as simple as just turning it off. Right. Or uh, silencing the notifications. And And there's ways to make it fun too. I mean, so let's say you do go out to lunch with a group of friends or acquaintances and and one fun idea is that you put all your screens in the side of the table and whoever touches it first pays for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You just got to be careful who you invite. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I guess that's, that's a better one with, with people, you know, a little bit better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. You don't want to play that with your mentor. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's vitally important. I mean, I I read somewhere that it takes 23 minutes or so to get back to focusing at the same level of focus you had from the moment you get distracted. So like it's every moment that you get distracted, you're losing 30 minutes of focus that you had before and, you know, this, this is kind of in relation to not just when you're with other people, but when you're actually just trying to work, when you're trying to just get stuff done and just the amount of notifications we're dealing with, not just on our phones, but on Slack and all these different things, you know, what are some tips you have for people that are just trying to get into flow that are trying to get something done, even if they're by themselves, not people to distract them. Cause most people are working at home these days around, you know, what are some of the things that they can do to be more productive and to stay focused while they're just working on their, on the, on their own. So turn off notifications and uh, phone, phone rings and, and anything you, you need, and then decide how long you want to concentrate on that, that 
whatever it is, fill in the blank, what the proposal or or application or article or whatever you're working on, decide. So you don't need to say, I'm going to work on this the rest of the day, but say, okay, maybe I'm going to work on it and be totally focused for 45 minutes. And then to actually mm-hmm. set an alarm so that you don't have to keep wondering how long it's been. And then to take breaks we, we it's been many studies have proven that we're more um, productive when we take downtime breaks. So mm. take, go for a walk outside without your phone uh, or, or uh, do some activity that you enjoy. Like maybe it's uh, doing a crossword puzzle or doing a little exercise. So to break it up and then you're more productive when you're um, back, back to work. It's what's the through- cadence of that? Just, just sorry to interrupt. What's like the cadence you recommend for the amount you should be working to the amount of minutes if not hours, you should take a break for before you go back to that work cadence? Well, it really depends on your personality and what you're working on. And um, so it's something to kind of play around with yourself to see what feels right. But I've some studies have shown that even just 15 minutes a day of of being a quote unquote non-productive time can make us more productive over the course of the day. Um, mm-hmm. As well as uh, studies that have shown that when we take a real lunch break, even if it's just 20 minutes or half an hour and, and relax, maybe, you know, read a magazine or an article or um, that we're more productive the rest of the time. So people feel guilty taking breaks. So what I say is if you, if you have a need to feel guilty, just reverse it and feel guilty if you don't take breaks. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I think it's also vitally important, like for, for, for like someone like myself, where a lot of it, a lot of the things is around creativity and problem solving, just, being away in a different environment, whether it's a walk or taking a shower, if that is really the most important thing for you, which is to, to make better decisions, oftentimes just taking that break can lead to having a solution or a creative uh, response that you just didn't have when you exactly. were in the trenches, right? Right. Yeah. Um, Pomodoro is like, a, is, is like another good example as well. I think it's like they recommend... Uh, 25 minutes of working and like 10 minutes of breaks or something like that. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's, it's somewhere around that time zone and you can, you can have like a timer um, that you set so that you can really make sure you're, you're keeping that cadence on. So a um, few other things there for sure. Um, how about in terms of like other, other cadences, like do you particularly do for people that are being, um, setting up their schedules, let's say on a daily basis, like what do you recommend in terms of the specifics around what to work on, how to work times of the day, anything around that so that their day or even on a weekly cadence can be more productive and focused? So in particular, if other people have access to your calendar, if you work for an organization where people can put in meetings for you, uh, I recommend when you build your schedules to build in little you meetings and you can call them whatever you want, strategic planning session or whatever official name you want to give, but to at least a couple times a day to block out time that is for you to meet with you um, as opposed mm-hmm. to always being in group meetings all the time. Also, when you have meetings, don't schedule them to start and end at the same time. Like if this meeting is supposed to go until 11 a.m. and my next meeting starts at 11 a.m., then there's a, oh, um, yeah. it's a downward spiral from there. So picking times, having even if it's just a brief break in between a little cushion time. 
Um, also to assess, since for some of us, it's pretty easy, uh, whether you're a morning or nighttime person, uh, and then do your most productive work in, in that time frame is, is something else. And I, I always recommend my coaching clients that they do a list of things to do. Like for me, I'm a morning person. So I do it first thing in the morning. Some people do it at the end of the day for the next yeah. day, but I do not know how people survive in the world with so many demands on their time. If they don't do a to-do list, uh, even mm -hmm. if you don't get to everything on the list, but reminding yourself of what the big ticket items are each day and uh, in what, if there's meetings or just so that things don't slip your, slip your mind to not expect to have a superhuman memory, but people always say to me, oh, I don't have a good memory. And that's, it doesn't matter how good your memory is. What matters is how good your systems are. Yeah. So having a system that doesn't demand that you um, spend all day reminding yourself of, of little tasks that you have to do, but that you have a place to put it. No, that's great. You touched on actually a couple of things that I wanted to go deeper on. Number one is the strategic meeting that you mentioned that you can schedule on your calendar. I'm assuming that's so that people think you're still being productive, but it's a time for yourself that you can just have to, to just wind down or to be with yourself, right? Well, it's guarding that time and it can be to wind down, but it also could be to do work. But what I'm saying is that if, if your whole day is filled up with meetings, which happens yeah. to many, many people, then when are you going to get to um, the as Stephen Covey would say, the big rocks, when are you going to get to the, the important tasks that you also need to do? So it's mm. creating time each day where you can, maybe it is going through emails, but, but you can't do it while you're in meetings all day, or you can try, but that backfires. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's a great, um, that's a great insight. I, I didn't even realize people have calendar sharing uh, until quite recently because I just never worked for a corporation. So this, this is like feedback that I can't even give to others. So I'm glad you're stepping in here. Um, and then this idea of like morning productivity versus night, like for the longest time, I felt really bad because I'm such a nocturnal person. I'm very productive at nighttime at after like 9 p.m. It's when I feel the most creative. And I, I, feel, I felt like the worst because Generally, most people talk about 4 a.m., 6 a.m., waking up early and finishing the most important parts of your day by like 12, right? And I, I think there's a lot of people that also are probably in the same situation that I was, which is like feeling bad that they're not being productive in the mornings, but more, more so at night. Um, and it, it seems like that's what you're suggesting is like, it's not, it doesn't matter what time of the day, as long as you have the particular time that fits for your particular working style, that's what you should focus on, not necessarily right. the times of the day. Right. That's right. And Great. Yeah. also uh, <laughs> on the other hand, I, on the one hand, I said, uh, since I'm a morning person, like that, I'll do my most productive work then. Uh, but I've also noticed to be cautious about what I promise in the morning, because I'll be like, mm. yeah, sure. We can do this. We can do that. <laughs> and then in the afternoon, I'm like, wait a second. Why did I say we could do all those things today? <laughs> so right. um, to, when, if you're really energetic, like in night, like maybe like say, maybe I'll agree to this and I'll decide in the morning if it still makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're a total different person in the morning, right? Yeah, right. Especially <laughs> you're groggy and you're like, ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing you touched on is this idea of like the big important tasks, because I think 
for those for those people that do have a to-do list, it, it, it never runs out. And I think we have this kind of fear or, or added stress of letting, uh, of kind of these like ongoing, never-ending to-do lists. And, and, and one thing for me particularly that's really been um, helpful is not necessarily associating hard work with um, success, like, as in like hard work isn't the only variable that you need to have success. A lot of the times it's just being strategic with what is going to move the needle. Um, I think Peter Thiel calls this like the power law or people refer to like the Pareto's law or Pareto's principle of like what are the most important tasks that you need to do um, but also like letting the fires that are smaller kind of burn so that you can focus on, on the bigger goals. But I feel like psychologically people have a lot of tough time with that of like needing to do every single thing. But at the end of the day, they don't really get the most important things done because we're triggered to, you know, go for the smaller rewards and the easier wins. Um, how does someone get over that hump and make sure that, um, you know, in your experience that they are doing the things that move the needle. Well, first of all, to accept, you won't always get it right. But um, to also remember that actions do not necessarily equate with results. So it's our society, it's almost like a badge of honor to be so busy. And so, but being so busy, if maybe um, a misnomer, if we're doing things that are spinning, spinning our wheels, kind of to your point, one of my coaching clients had it came up with a concept, which I love. And so I'll share with you. And besides having a to-do list, to-do list, he has a to not do list. Mm, (laughs) And at the end of the day, when, when he's reviewing his, what he had on his to-do list and what he didn't do, how many of those things can he just move to the, you know, I don't ever have to, I don't have to do these things. So Mm. uh, what are some examples? Well, it could be something that you delegate. It could be something that uh, seemed important, but maybe actually isn't that important. Sometimes we over uh, communicate with people, for example, in terms of messaging and and so on. It it could be something you can let go of like, oh, I thought I was going to do this extra um, thing tonight, but maybe it's not necessary. So I think it ties in with what you were saying about what moves the needle uh, and, and to say this actually doesn't have to be done, or at least it doesn't have to be done by me. Maybe Mm -hmm. I don't need to attend every meeting or the full length of every meeting, or I'm just looking for places to lighten the load. Yeah. Yeah. I I like the idea of inverting the, uh, the to-do list. Uh, That's always a helpful way to mentally framework your, uh, your, your process. So that's great. Um, I want to make sure we have time to go over your, your latest book, which talks about you know, the workplace. And this is definitely uh, a place that I'm sure would benefit a lot of people. Times have changed. Of course, now people are often not working in person. Like I've got tons of my friends that are now moving across the world because they're yeah. remote completely. Right. So um, I don't know exactly when the book came through, but th- did it come after the pandemic when everyone started to start to work? Oh online? yeah. The, my newest book is called the cactus and snowflake at work. And the subtitle is how the logical and sensitive can thrive side by side. I wrote it. Um, I wrote the majority of it during the pandemic. Uh, I remember mm. very early on in the pan- when the pandemic was just to starting to take over our lives, having these long talks on the phone with my editor, my publisher, <laughs> like yeah. when do you write this book. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, but I also wrote it, keeping in mind, thinking that there would be times again when we would be in person as well. So I 
we're mm-hmm. aimed to find that that balance of of insight and, and advice. And it's really about personality styles and understanding who you are. Um, yeah. Given these two metaphors that we relied on in the book, the cactus and the snowflake personalities. And yeah, it has I mean, a self-assessment too, where you can assess where you are on the on the continuum. It's not that there's two types of personalities. It's it's think of it like a line or a, a a chain where some people are have really strong preferences for a certain style, but many of us are somewhere in the middle. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a very timely book because like when have we ever in society had pretty much all around the world? I think at this point where people are now starting to work remotely and oftentimes not even in the same city, you've got some of the biggest companies like Twitter, I think Square, um, Google is starting to be more open. Like all of these major companies now that employ tens of thousands of people are allowing people to work remotely and it's only seeming to increase, but it just never really been a situation where people had to deal with. And I think this is all kind of tied in with what we talked about first, which is like focusing when there isn't someone that's going to be watching over your shoulders and managing your own time. But also like this idea of building a network is also very relevant. But I I think people are going still through this transition period of like adjusting how to build relationships at work, how to maintain, you know, the the, the working relationships um, in a virtual setting. Uh, you talk about this idea of like thinker, which is cactus feeler, which is the, the the snowflake spectrum. Talk to me about kind of what the differences are and why it's important for people to know what part of the spectrum they fall in. Right. So the cactus personality style leads with their head and the snowflake will lead with the heart. So the cactus personality has, there's three main primary distinctions, and then there's a whole bunch of corollaries to it, but uh, cactuses value being logical, snowflakes value being empathetic and sensitive. Uh, cactus is analytical in making decisions and the snowflake is, is intuitive in making decisions. And this cactus is very direct in conversations and the snowflake tends to be more diplomatic. So those are the big mm-hmm. um, kind of picture items. And they certainly come to play in various settings, including to your point, virtual settings and um, being aware and understanding of our own personality style and then picking up on cues about other people's personality styles make us way more effective in our relationships and in our, our work and outside of work, our personal lives as well. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a good place to start to figure out. I think, I guess most people assume that they know what side of the spectrum they fall in. I guess it's a lot harder to know what other people fall on the spectrum, especially if they're working online and right. never have a chance to meet people. What are some cues that are really important, right. critical so, to, to mm-hmm. know? So first I would say focus on the other person because uh, it's easier than ever to be distracted and not really get to know other people because we're giving them such a small portion of our conscious attention. So when I'm in meetings uh, of any kind, including this one or any meeting on, on a virtual platform that's visual, I go full screen always. I can't even imagine people. Uh, I, and I know I'm in, I guess I'm in the minority. I hope it doesn't stay that way, but people have their, they're staring at the 
picture of the other person, but they also have all kinds of other things going on. So um, make it easy to focus on the person. So then if you really want to get to know somebody and find out what makes them tick and what their personality is, I call it the big two. The first thing is to observe, and it's much easier to observe when you're focused on that person. Observe their nonverbals, observe what they're excited about, and observe their language, what they talk about, the type of words they use. Um, So cacti tend to use the word think more often, and snowflakes tend to use the word feel more often. For example, um, and I call that language dexterity, is being flexible in how you communicate with different personalities. So that's the first one is to observe. And the second part of the big two is Um, often overlooked and it's just, it's so useful. And that's to simply ask to say, so when you're getting feedback or giving feedback, what's your style or what do you prefer? What's your working preference or, uh, and and this ties in also with the virtual, um, some people get really energized by being in meetings, um, virtually, especially if they're living alone in this situation that we're in now. Um, however, other people, prefer not to have so many um, vi- video meetings. Maybe sometimes want it to be um, just an old fashioned phone call or some other ways of, co- of communicating. So to ask people what their preferences are. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the video constant zoom meetings tend to be a burnout in itself. Uh, I've read this article where like there's some companies that like to do first meetings in video, especially if you've never met them, but they refer to audio after that. But that can cause its own problems, I guess, too, because people aren't accountable and they can just be distracted and they can be doing something completely else without anyone else knowing. But um, yeah, those are those are really good insights. So you're just like be upfront, like just ask them, hey, how do you like to receive feedback? And do you now have to then put them in the spectrum depending on how they respond and what are the cues based on how they respond? to know whether they fit into the thinker or the feeler category. You you don't have to be able to place them exactly where you think they might go on the spectrum. However, what you might want to do is to, uh, I call it flexing your style to be flexible in how you provide feedback or receive feedback from that person or um, how you communicate, or if you can ask about other types of things too, like how do you like to meet uh, and, and so on. And there's, it's not just uh, like I either like, Zoom or I don't like Zoom. It can be I I tend to like shorter meetings or um, I I like to move around a lot. So are you okay if while we're meeting I'm going to be like stretching or I mean just like having open conversations about different people's styles and then don't expect them to be able to do that for you though. Like um, most people aren't thinking that way. So always make yourself the responsible one, regardless of who you're talking to, to meet other people where they're at. And um, I talk about this in the book as well, that the only things you can really directly control are your, your thoughts, your words, and your actions. You can't directly control other people. So just accept that instead of, I mean, I say in the book, I kind of tongue in cheek to mind your own business, mind, like what, what can you control as opposed to thinking that everyone else needs to be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, this is so important just in personal relationships too, (laughs) especially if you are with a partner that is very controlling is uh, (laughs) you can't change the person. It's often better to, uh, to find yourself in a different situation than to try to change someone. And and in personal relationships as well, we, we interpret the same experience completely differently from other people. Um, And it might be because one person's a snowflake and one person's a cactus, or it could be for other reasons. Uh, But you really might, for example, you might be sitting in, in your kitchen and whoever you live with walks by 
and doesn't acknowledge you. So you might think, well, they're just being rude or they're so disrespectful or they think they're better than me or um, they're it's an insult. And the other person might have just been deep in thought and like didn't even maybe notice that you were sitting there or didn't want to lose their train of thought. So totally different experiences, same objective situation. And I would imagine that is it is it the case that if you yourself, let's say you're a thinker that because you don't really have the perspective of seeing other people's and reading other people's minds that you also assume that more people are thinkers than than it's actually the case because you yourself are also a thinker. That's possible. I mean, that, that that's, that's possible. And there's some gender stereotypes around it. Um, that people may just have a knee jerk response and think, Oh, this personality seems more like female. And this one seems more like a male. Um, in reality, there are some, there've been some studies in terms of breakdowns and there are preferences that different genders have, but, mm-hmm. uh, but there's definitely a mix uh, in, but the, to go deeper into what you just said, when you said, if you're have a certain personality style, what I call the cactus style that you might assume other people are the cactus, the, the, the sort of subtext of what you just said is that therefore, I think that if I like to be treated a certain way, I assume everyone likes to be treated the same way as me, which is never the case. And that's why we have issues with respect in, yeah. in the workplace. Uh, I might say you don't respect me because you, um, because you don't ask how I, my holiday weekend was. And, and you may think that I'm not respecting your time because I'm wasting time asking about your holiday weekend. So, so we, we, it's, it's not a, it's, it's a moving target, this idea of respect, and it varies completely according to different personalities. So that's something important to remember. Yeah, and I and think what you implement. touched on is, yeah, definitely. And I think what you touched on is applicable for almost like every single thing that you could imagine, right? Like I, I had this trouble, like for a while, I had this trouble of not being punctual because I, you know, I lived in Latin America for a while where it's like, they call it like Latin American time, right? So everything is 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later. Uh, and I personally didn't mind when someone else was late, especially if it was just like a casual dinner, let's say, but I realized that other people are incredibly sensitive to something like that. And if people, I guess, naturally people assume that if you are okay with it, other people are also okay with it. So it really applies to almost like everything that we do <laughs> in our personal and professional uh, relationships. Um, I want to just end off with this one last question, because I think this touches on this idea of communicating relationships, but more importantly, like if you are a leader, if you're an executive or manager trying to get the most out of people, especially in this virtual environment that we currently work in. Um, I want to touch on some tips you may have around this, uh, particularly around this like balancing of giving people autonomy versus micromanaging. Cause it seems like it's a art a little bit. There can be a balance that you kind of need to refine, which is like, if you give people too much freedom, then naturally people are just going to be, you know, maybe revert to something that uh, is going to be more selfish with their own time, especially in a virtual setting. Whereas if you keep give, if you're like way too micromanaging, naturally people are also going to just do what they want in the end because, you know, people want to have a sense of autonomy and, and creativity. How do you generally tend to balance that and, and any other tips that you may have around 
how to get the best out of the people that uh, work with you as a manager leader. Sure, sure. So this goes back to when you were saying this idea of observing and asking can help you with so many different types of situations and challenges. So the same thing goes for uh, what you were describing as potentially micromanaging people um, versus giving them too much you could call it freedom or you could say that you aren't helping them along the way or offering support. So ask people when you're working with them, um, how do you like to work with, with someone who's supervising your, or managing your work? Do you, do you, how, how often do you like to check in? Uh, and because it's one person's micromanaging is another person's dream supervisor. Like, wow, he really cares about, or she really cares about my, my output because we have a Monday morning meeting every week and, and someone else thinks that they don't trust me. And that's why they're checking in on me every Monday morning. So, so asking people what they prefer. And then yeah. also to, calibrate the kind of motivators you use based on their personality style. So it doesn't mean changing who you are, but it means being flexible in how you motivate other people. So if someone's a strong cactus, for example, then you might talk about, oh, this is going to make us so much more productive and really impact the bottom line. Um, But that same explanation of why these changes are being made or being this new method of engagement is being implemented wouldn't be compelling to a strong snowflake. So to the snowflake, you might say, uh, this is really going to change lives and help a lot of people. So it's, it, you motivate people differently based on what matters to them. What, and I talk about in the, the book, what matters most. And along those lines of what matters most is if, if you, if as a supervisor, you're concerned that people aren't working as hard because they're remote. And my question would be, what do you really want? Like, do you want them to be working eight to nine hours a day? Is that important value to you? Or do you want them to have the certain outcomes that are their um, responsibility? Because if it's just the outcomes, then maybe it's okay if they're not working eight to nine hours a day. So being clear about why um, things matter to you. That's awesome. Well, Devorah, I think that's a great way to uh, close it off here. Um, I want to make sure people know more about you, get to know where they can find out uh, more about your books, uh, all the things that you're working on. Where can people learn more about the work that you're doing and um, what's the best way for people to find you? So my company is called Only Connect Consulting and you can find us on the web at myonlyconnect.com or uh, cactussnowflake.com, which is my most recent book. But you can find any of my books uh, wherever books are sold on Amazon or any independent booksellers, either virtual or, or stores. And uh, they're all super interactive and have tons and tons of tips. Today, we touched on networking for people who hate networking. And if you are interested in that topic, make sure you get the second edition because it has a whole bunch of updated information and new chapters. And then we talked about single tasking, get more done one thing at a time. We touched on, although we didn't talk as much about uh, managing for people who hate managing which is, has some more of these ideas we talk, we touched on in our discussion. And then of course the cactus and snowflake at work, which is um, about th- that aspect of personality in the workplace and at home. Yeah. Yeah. Despite talking a lot about single tasking, we touched on multiple different <laughs> things at the well, uh, it, that's one thing to know about single tasking. It doesn't mean you're only allowed to do one thing a day or one thing in a conversation. It just means while you're doing that thing, even if it's for five or 10 minutes, that that gets your full attention. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Well, it was great to have you on. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it, folks. And uh, tune in next week. Take care. 
Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.